Hi, I'm Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast on Java versus C and C++. This is a podcast of a talk I've been giving for almost a decade, and it's still popular. And as soon as I say Java versus you know C, C++, I've basically declared a flame war, and trolls from both camps rise up in righteous fury. Both camps end up pulling out lots of bogus facts, and they make lots of basic mistakes, and they typically loudly shout what they know and ignore what they don't know. And why are there two camps anyways? I clearly predate both camps, and I'm basically responsible for making one of the camps directly using the other. So I'm going to try and clarify the situation in about 20 minutes or less. So, you know, there are some places where C++ clearly beats Java. Anywhere where you need a tiny footprint, and of course tiny, you know, machines keep getting smaller, um, but you still find places for, uh, uh, you know, machines that are under, you know, half a, half a megabyte. So tiny embedded controllers that show up in cars and clocks and, and little itty bitty things that, like pacemakers or whatever. Or places where you need very deterministic or very fast reboot times. These are things with hard real-time components where a cosmic ray hit causes them to reboot. And a pacemaker would definitely fall in that category. I want my pacemaker to, you know, come back up from scratch if it takes a, it takes a cosmic ray reboot hit. Um, there are also some optimizations that uh, Java does not do currently, and I'm talking about Fortran style, giant arrays that are getting reshaped and tiled for cache. Uh, proper tiling for cache can often speed up a giant scientific problem by 10x. It's tenfold is enough to be you know interesting, um, but it requires you to reshape how arrays are laid out. Java currently doesn't do that. And then there's these things called value types, which Java's been dabbling with for a while and may eventually show up. But if you need a billion tiny objects and the objects are say the size of a double or a point object, um, the overhead of a Java object for a billion things is actually quite significant. Um, C and C++ also beat Java when you need direct machine access, and that's commonly the case in operating systems. We have all sorts of special registers and uh, you know root access only mode, uh, hardware instructions and the like. Um, also true in device drivers. Um, it's also true in like AAA shooter games where you're basically driving the hardware card almost directly. Um, there are some. There's been a large effort to do Java in Java, such as Maxine or the Java OS effort. Um, but I would claim that these never made it to any sort of usable state, any sort of realistically usable state. Um, also, in the past, I've done a lot of uh, direct code generation using the GNU uh, ASM command in the C world, where basically puke bits down into a buffer and execute them. And this would be any time I need a, a very hot piece of code that's going to run a whole lot, but it's Value is determined at runtime. A common case here would be the uh, inner loop of a sort where you need a key compare, and the key is defined by the command line arguments, but the actual, you know, the execution time is depends on how fast you can execute key compare. So you compile the command line arguments into x86 instructions and then execute them a billion times in the inner loop of sort. Um, same kind of reasoning goes with interpreters. Uh, where we're you know directly using assembly for interpreter will beat C code usually by two x, and whipping out uh, uh, you know some clever interpreter layout games that you really can't do in anything other than basically assembly will get you another two x. Um, destructors versus finalizers. Um, Java's trying hard with the try with resources, but I claim it's late to the game and it's still not as convenient, although it's getting closer. 
finalizers were this complete mistake made by some, I don't know, somebody naively thinking there's a really cool thing we can do with garbage collection. Um, so the problem here is that destructors give you a reliable, out-of-language cleanup path. It happens when the scope exits. And you can clean up file handles, for instance. The problem with finalizers is that they only run eventually, when you run out of memory. And way back in the day when the world was young and Java heaps were small, you ran out of memory pretty frequently, and so finalizers got run pretty frequently. But later in life, as heaps got bigger and bigger, um, you know, various very popular web servers like Tomcat, who were allocating file handles on finalizers using the GC cleanup to reclaim them, wouldn't ever take a GC cycle till the OS ran out of file handles. And then you, the, the Tomcat server would fail for having no OS file handles. And you had to constrain it to a smaller heap to force the GC cycles. So there's a request put into the hotspot team to say, if you run out of file handles, instead of returning no file handles to the application, stop, run a full GC cycle, run all the finalizers you can, and then rerun the effort to go get a file handle and hand it back to the, the Java program. And in hindsight, this was like a really bad idea using forced GC cycle hooks to get some sort of OS cleanup action to happen. Really, you know, GC needs to be unrelated to other outside of process resources that need cleanup. They need their own sort of cleanup based on their usage patterns. Sometime later, Java came out with try and finally. But try and finally requires you to add an explicit exit scope action to counter the interscope action. And destructors just gave you the exit scope with the interscope in the same motion. Basically, the destructor acts like uh, the auto-closable in the new try with resources. So try and finally, we're, we're closer to the mark, but they still missed in that you had this giant extra syntax you had to add to do cleanup. Try with resources is getting better, but the syntax in Java for this is really clunky. Um, it forces you to put an indent level. It forces you to put the thing that you're doing the constructor on inside a try with parens notation. It's very non-Java-like syntax. It's very weird. I claim that you know a little more syntactic sugar and you're getting closer. Um, whereas destructors just got it right and had it right for 20 years, Java. Okay, let me flip this on its head and talk about places where I think Java beats C. So for most programs or of any length of time running, profiling the code before op generating optimized code works. It pays off. The, you know, the gains might be 5% and they might be 50%. Um, but nobody bothers for C and C++ because it's just too darn hard. Whereas all the JIT systems profile at least some because they want to know what to compile because they're not going to compile everything. So immediately there's a profiling built into the system from get-go. As these systems have matured, the profiling has gotten deeper and broader. And at least for Hotspot, there are so many things, thousands and thousands of interesting things that are profiled and used in code generation directly. And you get this giant payoff from the profiling. I'll also claim that I see a whole lot more very large programs written in Java than in C. And I'll claim that the large program tool chain is better. And it's not because people write fluffier code, although they can and they do, it's because they're really writing these programs are really doing something more. They're actually solving a bigger, tougher problem. You know, how many big web servers are written in C versus written in Java? Well, you know, there's certainly some floating around, but there's a whole lot of these things written in Java rather than in C. Okay, garbage collection. It's just a hell of a lot easier to get right than malloc and free. 
And hell of a lot easier to get right means faster time to market. You get your program out the door sooner, and you can have more time to spend on other things like making your program run faster, doing basic profiling, you know, with Java standard profilers and doing that kind of level of optimization. And, and as a counter argument, I'll say if I look at all the C and C++ programs I see in the world, as they get larger, I see all these variations on, on things that call arenas or regions or resource areas or obstacles or whatever. These are all basically hand-rolled GCs. Why not just have the actual thing? Okay, GC is efficient. It's parallel and concurrent. There's good locality. Um, fragmentation, it defragments or heap. That leads to a measurable increase in actual performance on any large program. Um, I can get you a hard real-time GC from Azul Systems where the max pause time is in the low microsecond count. This is good enough for many hard real-time programs. And finally, GC allows a new class of algorithms, concurrent algorithms, for which you can't track the lifetime of little tiny helper objects very easily. The cost of tracking the lifetime exceeds the, the value of it, basically, whereas GC will track the lifetime for you for free. This is a fundamental change, and it was used heavily inside the JDK 5 version <coughs> for doing all of the concurrent algorithms. Little tiny helper objects are made. There's an attempt to cast them onto a list. No one cares if they make it or they don't. If they don't make it, they're dead, and no one bothers to track it, and GC just cleans up the mess. And this is really a fundamental change. It's easier to write concurrent algorithms in a GC language than not. Um, better multi-threading support. You know, single CPU speeds have stalled for a long time now. And if you have a bigger problem, you have to run parallel. Two ways to run parallel. You either start forking off more processes and you're doing it with the, the, you know, the cloud version or on a one core, which are a one core, one, one CPU one machine, you're guaranteed to get four cores, if not eight or 32, um, you just go parallel. And Java has had much better multi-threading support than C and C++ for a long time. There's a real memory model. The current C1 says stuff like, if you have a data race, all bets are off. Your program is allowed to crash and burn. That is not the case in Java. If you have a data race, the semantics are well specified. Um, you know, Synchronized and volatile, I think atomic keyword finally made it into the C language. Java's had volatile for you know, 20 years. Threads are built into the language directly. There's a giant, large, multi-threaded library base, all the JDK concurrent collections. Um, garbage collection is by its nature concurrent for allocation, as opposed to having a concurrent malloc and free library is usually an add-on. There are tools for all sorts of parallel coding and debugging floating around in Java. And speaking of libraries, Java has this vast off-the-shelf library collection, and you can just, you know, just throw libraries at stuff and just build something fast by grabbing a library. You know, if you just go hit Stack Overflow, the library that solves your problem just pops right out and, and you know, build, I mean, sorry, download before you build. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is you get too many third-party libraries. And that's sort of the, the Java mentality is you, you download from the web first before you build, and the C mentality is typically build before download. And this does lead you to having layers and layers and layers of somebody else's code that you're never quite sure what's going on in. And then your application gets plagued by failures that no one understands because they're weird interactions between layers of libraries. So there's a trade-off there. But as a way to get started and get something out the door, Pulling out a library from the web is a really nice way to go. Okay, now I'm going to talk about some things right here. A lot of claims that C beats Java, but I, I'm but no, they don't. Um, and these are easily to measure. So, you know, the common one is just looking at tiny, tiny programs. You know, if fast is fast enough, then you're done. 
there's no point in micro-optimizing, you know, Bogle MIPS a second. Um, if your goal is to have a better web server or to deliver, you know, a better buying experience or to deliver, you know, faster, I don't know what, on the interwebs, um, all the timings of little tiny to modest programs do, make no difference. 16-bit cars versus 8-bit cars. Um, I think Java made a mistake there, personally. On the other hand, there's lots of optimizations there. And in practice, I have never seen it make a difference in terms of speed. Quite, quite commonly, if you have very large uh, character files, you can leave them as bytes, and people will do that. Um, but otherwise, if you're just looking at gobs of you know string data floating around, the fact that it's 16-bit versus 8-bit, and therefore it supports all the you know Unicode bits and kanjis and God knows what all, that's all fine. Doesn't make any difference. Certainly, I've seen all kinds of people make flaws when doing small benchmark comparisons. So there's a bunch of very common flaws. You know, the first one is actually measuring something you care about. You know, as I mentioned before, I really don't care about you get more BOGO MIPS than I do. Um, because BOGOMIPS is not a benchmark I care about. Um, I've had people literally tell me that C makes a better web server because printf is faster. And I hardly know where to go from there. I, I really don't care about printf speed when I'm making my web server. That is not the bottleneck. Um, Warm-up. It is the case that Java needs a warm-up period to begin you know, jitting the code. And that matters only for a few things. You know, I mentioned before pacemakers, I want up and fast. However, most apps runs for at least minutes, if not days, but the compilation is typically over with in seconds. The compiles will dribble in on for minutes and minutes afterwards, but the bulk of the time when you're not running at jitted speed, that's all over with in a few seconds. Um, there are a lot of basic timing errors. There's definitely a large period where a certain very popular OS a report would round time to tens of milliseconds, although it would report in milliseconds, and or you can get APIs that report nanoseconds, but they're actually timing in milliseconds, so that you would get this, you know, junk bits in the low order, and people would claim the random low order bits were meaning something when they were literally random low order bits. Um, there's a lot of caching effects in a modern system, and, and it's, you know, it's all the difference between you're running your benchmark on your quiet home machine and nothing else is going on, Versus, you've got a larger version of the same thing running in, an, uh, in a you know production system in a cloud somewhere. He's got noisy neighbors in the cloud that are eating up all his network bandwidth, are banging on the cores at the same time. He is his caches aren't being as effective. His you know CPU caches, network caches, disk caches, database caches. These things are all you know being hammered on by other things, and the effect is that that your your performance on your desktop isn't actually very related to performance in production because your production environment does not look like your desktop. There's a lot of uh, basic broken statistics. People who run once and report, which throws out all the outliers and all the initial cache misses that people might have. And, and for any time you have any sort of randomness in a problem, the right way to fix it is with statistics. You do repetitions and report averages and standard deviations. And you do not throw out outliers because the outliers are real. And you might have an outlier as an actual part of your production environment that you need to ponder. Hey, I'm trying to supply the you know, 99 percentile response rate, but I have these outliers. They might blow your 99% by a lot. Um, within Java, very specific to Java, there's this thing called a compile plan. And it does vary from launch of a JVM to launch of a JVM. And not getting this right will lead you to you know, very different numbers, which for, again, the right answer is statistics, but you have to relaunch a JVM 
as opposed to run it over and over again in the same JVM, which is also necessary to get the JIT to kick in. Um, I, I encourage you to read a couple papers, statistically rigorous Java performance evaluation and producing wrong data without doing anything obviously wrong. Other things I've seen happen is people uh, varying the data set sizes um, where the data set size might vary by, by 2 or 3x and, and the, the 1x version fit in your L1 cache and the 2x version did not and that's a 10x slowdown. Um, or having a constant time workload measure you know amount of bogo ops I get within a certain period of time and do that once in the beginning to decide you know how many bogo ops is a reasonable workload but that's the slow version in the beginning and then you scale the slowness by a larger number to go figure out how many you run on an actual timing run later and you get completely random numbers again. Um, there's some older benchmarks hopefully mostly now discredited where people would claim the test was for instance a database test but turned out to be a shell sort test um, SpecTVP, JBB was famous for being claimed as a middleware test, but it was really a young gen garbage collection test. It was all about how fantastically amazing your young gen was and how big your heap was. Lots and lots of more things going down this line. Um, you know, it's not worth banging in it. If you need to get serious about performance, you need to study the issue enough to know what it is you're trying to measure and why you care, like you're measuring the right thing, and then do some serious work on measuring. Okay, here's some commonly mentioned non-issues. Um, you'll hear see people claim that stack allocation uh, beats GC. And, and I studied this issue for a long time and I'll claim it's irrelevant, it's a non-issue. I, I totally dig stack allocated GC versus a stack allocated C versus GC alone. And the answer is that it make no difference. Um, GC does the right thing there. But Java has lots of casts. Yes, it does. And they're all basically free. And there's a paper I wrote with John Rose called Fast Subtyping in the Hotspot Virtual Machine and uh, you know interface calls and the like. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it boils down to a load compare branch, which on a modern x86 uh, costs you about one clock. The branch will predict correctly every time. The load will, yeah, it might hit in cache and will not, may not, but the compare will certainly predict correctly and the branch will do the right thing. And it's basically one clock cycle, essentially free. Same thing for virtual calls. They're basically actually never taken. I mean, they happen. You, you use them all the time in Java, obviously, unless you say final, the semantics are virtual call. In practice, unless you're actually making a virtual call, it's not happening as a virtual call. You're getting it as a what's called an inline cache. It's an amazing little you know, two instruction uh, uh, cache that's buried in the code that will predict the common path and upon a prediction hit, will take it in one clock cycle for the prediction test and one for the call. Um, and that's where, you know, 90, 99% of all virtual calls end up going. Okay, um, I've also seen only a limited set of Java versus C examples. And this would be like a, a key useful thing to have an example. And that's because people rarely get to code the same program twice. And when they do, they rarely get to do it as an apples to apples comparison. Instead, they're doing a re-implementation. And in the second go round, they fixed all the mistakes they made in the first go round. So the second go round generally has all the problems of the first go round, you know, gone and it just runs faster and works better. Uh, there are a few cases where people have extremely badly misused language features like using the, the x86 sine and cosine instructions directly from C and comparing that to Java's implementation of sine and cosine, which demand all, you know, 64 bits 
uh, IEEE precision as possible, which you can get in a reasonable amount of time, but it's not the same as running the, the stupid little instruction on x86, which does not provide that answer. So, um, you know, I, I, during the talk, when I give it officially, I present some slides, which are basically showing some examples, um, you know, like Java string hash. Uh, you know, pick 100,000 strings and hash them 100 million times and run that versus C versus Java. And the answer, of course, is within noise, it answers the same. And that's because, you know, the major optimization here is standard string unrolling, loop unrolling, string optimizations, um, range stick elimination, all happens in Java just the way you'd expect it, all happens in C just the way you expect it. And they produce essentially identical inner loops and provide essentially identical speed. I did the same thing with a sieve of erotheses, which is a lot more nitpicky, bit twiddly, and of course Java just gets it exactly right. Um, and then there's a there's some fun cases where you know Java beats C um, by sort of an infinite amount, and that's because of the whole profiling game. Java does have the ability and and totally takes it to uh, profile all virtual calls, and if during the profiling of a virtual call there's a recognition that there's only one type is possible here because only one class got loaded for the virtual call, then it becomes static and can get completely inlined. And this is impossible in C++ because all other you know, possible virtual call targets are present and available in the binary and C++ without profiling doesn't realize this. Whereas in Java, we'll recognize that no one has ever touched the other classes and can then optimize it. This in turn happens all the time in any of these large complicated libraries where you have flags gating all sorts of funny behaviors, typically your program sets up the flags in a certain way and the hot inner loops of whatever library you're calling has options to go out to all different possible choices, but only one choice is ever taken at runtime because you only ever set the, you know, the starter flags one way and that in turn lets Java optimize those straight down to you know, the right code in the hot inner loops. Um, you know, having said all this, there's all kinds of other things that matter than you know very low-level nitpicky performance. Things like your existing infrastructure and you know time to market, the libraries that are available, um, programmer training, you know the mindset of the programmers you have. You can go get Java programmers really easily, but you can get C programmers easily too. You might have man rating issues or requirements for open source, or requirements for reliability or scalability. Um, and you know this go around. I talked a lot about both Java and things that are endemic to the JVM, but there's a lot of new languages that are running on the JVM and anything to do with GC and jitting and you know the speed of, of synchronizing and multi-threading and all that, that totally applies to all languages that are running on JVM, have nothing to do with Java. Um, you know, you might have 500X programmers in-house, doesn't make sense to switch away from language X. And in kind of, you know, Baked into this is the fact that the internet's just this great amplifier of, of you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So while there are lots of screaming and flames, you'll see lots of people with strong opinions and different vested interests, interests and different experiences. Um, they can't even agree on what faster means. You know, Bogomips a second, I'll say, is not an interesting metric of faster for me. So I'm going to ignore the Bogomips a second crowd for terms of you know, purposes of determining what's faster. I see lots of bad science, broken and missing statistical evidence, or misapplied testing, or testing things that are unrelated to what is claimed that you're trying to test. Um, and so basically, you need to recognize that when the noise levels are exceeding the communication levels, it's time to you know back up. 
and, and clarify. Acknowledge that each side has its strengths, but but you know, chill it out, think it through, recognize a lack of evidence for what it is. So yelling louder about what you do know doesn't actually help. Once we've heard that message, we don't need to hear it again and again and again. Maybe it's time to stop yelling about what you do know and start looking for what you don't know and go back and try to find out some more facts. Good testing helps in this kind of thing, but bad testing hurts and that people who do bad tests will typically shout those bad results very, very loudly and you'll have trouble getting past that to go recognizing that the results themselves are meaningless and you have to go test again in a different way. So, you know, in, in summary, I'll say it all depends. And this has been Cliff Click. Thanks. Bye.